We pray that as you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Say with me, epic stories from an epic author. We are beginning a great new series today talking about epic stories from the Word of God, looking at the Bible and studying through it. You may say, well, we look at the Bible, should look at the Bible every week. We do. We use the Word of God every week. But we're just really strategically this month on a Sunday going to look at the stories of the Bible, just working through them. Obviously, there are so many of them. There is no way we can cover them in a month. We can just cover four. But what we're going to do is we're going to do the best job that we best possibly can with those we have because we need to know the Bible. We need to know the truth of God's word and that's what this is about, helping us to know and understand the Bible, knowing the stories, knowing the characters in the stories and seeing and understanding the life lessons that they present for each one of us. A lot of people, it amazes me, don't know the stories from God's word. Because they weren't brought up in church like perhaps we were. So it's so important for us to train them. So when we're talking about, you know, just like David when he killed Goliath, they're like, "Uh, who and what? I don't know those things. And I know for many of us that's hard to grasp and it's hard to fathom. But it's true that some of the people that we're reaching, and that's the type that we want to reach, they don't know these things. And that's why we're going to take time out this month just to really go through it and break it down piece by piece. Because we can learn from these stories. We can see our lives in these stories. We can build. We can see a change that comes about because we can learn from them. The Bible speaks that their example was given to us so we can learn. We don't have to make the same mistakes because we can read what they did and the wrongs that they did, and we can hopefully not make those same um, actions and do those same things in our lives. So let's not try with this series, well, I know all this stuff. Come on, you're not going to tell me anything I don't already know. What about, can you work with me? Come on, who's going to work with me? What about if we're looking at these stories like it's the first time that we've ever read them? Come on, say with me, make it fresh. Come on, let's read it fresh. Let's make it fresh. Let it be real so we can enjoy the journey with those who have perhaps never heard these stories before. And we can be excited together as we can learn and we can look into God's Word. So we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to look at the garden today. We're going to talk about the garden because really this is the first main story that involves mankind in the garden. It's the story that we're going to discover, however, unfortunately, how sin enters the world. That there was perfection, there was beauty, there was everything that God desired and designed for life to be, but yet sin entered. Satan came in and destroyed that. We're going to discover today a talking serpent. I mean, come on, this is the Word of God. This is real stuff. Because what we would learn is that before the fall of man, things weren't as they are today. Animals didn't hunt each other. Animals were created to be vegetarians. They didn't fight against each other. There was unity. There was harmony that once again we're going to see in the new Jerusalem. We're going to see in the new heaven and the new earth. That's going to be restored again. So when we talk about a talking serpent, Eve wasn't freaked out by it. Why? Because perhaps the animals must have been able to talk back then. Don't look at me crazy. God did it, not me. And if you've got any questions, you can take them up with him when we get to heaven. Say, God, what about that talking serpent? Talk to me a little bit about that. And he may say, well, let me just bring the serpent over here and he can just tell you all about that. But, you know, we can look at things and we can struggle with some things. And that's what the enemy wants us to do, because through our struggle, we'll doubt the God and we'll doubt the author of this work. 
So we're going to look today at the garden. We're going to look at the first story. We're going to read it through verse by verse. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. It's in the front of your Bible. It's the first chapter or the first book, rather, of your Bible. Go all the way to the left and just take a couple of pages to the right and you'll find it. And it's Genesis chapter 3. Going to begin in verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 13. And it says this Now the serpent was more cunning or subtle than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? It's amazing, isn't it? It doesn't take Satan long to show up doesn't take Satan long, does it, for him to try and come in and mess up the greatness that God has. Come on, in our marriages, in our homes, in our finances, in our health, it doesn't take him long before he wants to show up and cause confusion and cause problems. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but, come on, say with me, but... But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Actually, God doesn't say you shouldn't touch it, but it's a good thing because if you can touch it, it means you could eat it. If you cannot touch it, it means you're not close enough to it. It says because if we touch it, we are going to die. Just stop. Leave the scripture up. I want you to go with me to the garden right now in your mind. I pray that we're there right now. And I want to ask you this question, where is Eve? Where is Eve when the serpent is talking to her? She's in the garden. Everyone got that? She's in the garden. But I believe that she's not in the place where he intends for her to be. But yet what? She is not at that tree. She is not right at that tree. Why do I believe that? Because the serpent asked her a question, can you eat? She says, we cannot eat of any, or we can eat any tree except what? The one that is in the midst, in the middle of the garden. What would it refer to that? To me, it means this. If she was by the tree, she would say, we can eat of everything except what? This tree. But how does she refer to it? She refers to it as the one that is a way away from her. She's enjoying the liberties of God, not what longing for that which she cannot have. She's living life. She's loving life. And from the indication too, Adam's not with her. She's on her own. He's off doing some other task. He's naming some animals. He's doing something. He's taking care of business. But she's on her own and the serpent comes to her. So hold that thought. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day, which turns out to be today for her, and sorry if I ruined the story for you, but it turns out to be her day. But in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's given her the impression that God's holding out on them. They were created in the image and likeness of God. But what's he saying? Hey, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to be like God. You're going to have... It's almost like he's sowing seeds in her mind that God's holding out, that God's not given them everything that they should have. And he's saying, listen, come with me and I'm going to give you everything because I value you. I see worth in you. I think you're beautiful. Can you see the tactics that he is doing. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good. Stop and look at me a second. Where is she now? Come on, she's right there. Everyone agree with me? She is right there. Here's what I believe has happened in the story up to now. She's just around minding her own business, enjoying life, doing things, living in the blessing of God. The serpent shows up and through his conversation. He has now walked her into a setup. Come on, she's some distance away, but now she's in the danger zone. She's been led into the trap through what she perceives to be a harmless conversation. But that's all part of Satan's plan. Come on, temptation is his plan. He wants to tempt us with that which we shouldn't have and say to us, oh, your life will be better if you have that. He wants us to focus on the wrong things in our life. He wants to get us into the wrong place at the wrong time. But really, it's the wrong place at his right time because it's his timing. He wants us to be at that place. And you've got to give Satan some credit. And that is this. He's good at what he does. 
He's consistent at what he does. And if you want to know if he's lying, if his lips are moving, he's lying to you. But she's been swayed by a conversation that's taken her from a safe zone into the danger zone. And he knows that the battle oftentimes is lost at the first look. She's now looking at what she shouldn't have. And verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to one make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. No! Yes, she did. She ate. She ate of the fruit. And she gave it also to her husband with her and he ate. Notice, now he's shown up. He's there. He should have been there to protect her and help her, but he wasn't where he needed to be. Now he has succumbed. Now they have both fallen into sin. Verse 7, and the eyes of both of them were open. It's pretty interesting to note this. If Eve was the only one who would have eaten the fruit, it would not have disrupted the plan of God. You may say, well, why is that? Because a woman does not carry the seed. It was when man ate that the seed of humanity was destroyed. Think about that. Man carries the seed. But you see, that's how sin is. We think we can play with fire and not get burnt, but it doesn't end up like that. Because we can say, well, that's harmless. I haven't really done anything wrong. But what do we do? We sow that seed and we produce other things in our life. The eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said unto him, Where are you? The first question of God, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, here's the second question, who told you that you were naked? Third question, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, it's the woman that You gave me. Notice the blame, the blame game that begins. God, everything was okay if you hadn't have given her to me. It's your fault, God, because life was great till you gave her to me. And now the problems have started. Watch, we don't pass the blame because she gave me of the tree and I ate. He willingly still ate. She didn't force him to eat it. He made the choice to eat it, but yet we're quick to pass the blame. Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, here's the fourth question, what have you done? And the woman said what? Passing the blame. It was the serpent who deceived me and I ate. As a result of the deception, as a result of disobedience, as a result of partaking of that which they shouldn't have done, their lives were changed forever. And as a result of their lives being changed forever, our lives were changed forever. And we're going to look at this story today and we're going to look at it fresh today like we've never read it before and discover some awesome truths from God. I've got five points that I want to give you today. Point number one, watch the question. Notice I didn't say the questions. God asks questions. Satan asks a question. Watch the question. Watch what Satan wants to try to do in each one of your lives because Satan is a master of asking questions, second only to God. God is the greatest question asker, but Satan is the second best. And there's a way that you can ask questions. Do you know there's an art to asking questions? Because you can ask a question and you can go and and you can talk this big elaborate question and then the answer someone could say is yes or no because that's not an open question. You've got to watch. Like if you say to someone, hey, did you enjoy our church? They're going to say either yes or no. But you want to get more information out of them. So what do you say? So talk to me. Tell me about our church. What was it that you enjoyed and liked? What did you feel when you were in the church? What does that give them the opportunity to? It gives them the opportunity to share their thoughts and to share share their feelings. You see, Satan has come in with a question that has given Eve an opportunity to open up. 
She doesn't realize it, but he's given her an opportunity to open up and share and give of things of her life and find ourselves in places that she has no business to be in. So what does he say? Here's how he starts. He says, did God really say? Isn't that amazing how many times the enemy will come to your life and say, does God really? I mean, does God really care? Is his word really true? Can you really trust God? Isn't it amazing how he comes and he comes in such a way that will cause us to begin to doubt. It will cause us to begin to question. Did God really say, but notice the question. He says, did God really say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice what he's saying. Did God say that no tree you were allowed to eat? That you couldn't touch any tree? He's posing the question, but what is he trying to do to make her doubt God? God didn't say that, and we're going to discover in a few moments what God did say. But here's why Satan comes with the questions to make us doubt God. Because Satan knows the promises of God. Satan knows the promise that God has for your life. Come on, the Bible is full of promises. You could label this as a promise book. Because every promise in here, we used to sing that song in Sunday school, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter and every verse and every line. Why? Because every promise in this book is mine as a child of God. It's yours as a child of God. It's our promises. Satan knows the promises of God. Satan knows the blessing for our life, the peace for our life, the comfort, the healing, the strength. He knows all those promises and he knows he cannot stop those promises, but yet you can. Did you catch that? He can't stop them, but you can. The promises of God are there, but if he causes you to doubt and question God, what does that do? It stops you from receiving from God everything he has. Satan cannot stop the promise, but he can cause you to question and doubt a God of your promise, that you'll no longer look to him as the promise and no longer receive that which God has for your life. But Satan is twisting God's words. He's good at doing that. He twists the truth. And I want to tell you something right now. If it's not the whole truth, it's no truth at all. It's not a half lie. It's a lie. It's either truth or lie. It's not a half truth. He's a father of lies. He doesn't speak truth. Even if there's half truths in there, it's a whole lie. Because if it's not according to God's promise, it's not the best for your life. And look what God says to Adam. God didn't say they couldn't touch any fruit of the trees. God didn't say that whatsoever. But what God said to them was in Genesis 2, 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may what? Freely eat. Can you see what God is doing for them? God is saying, see everything that there is here. Everything that you can see is all yours. I made this for you. I want this for you. But verse 17, but he says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of that tree. God says, everything is yours. Just don't touch one thing. Just don't touch one thing. But what does Satan put the spin on? Satan said, Did God say you couldn't eat any tree? Hmm, what was it God said? Hmm. All of a sudden, her liberties are now focused onto her restriction. Did you catch that? Because now she's thinking and she says what? No, God says we can eat of any tree of the garden except the tree that is in the middle of of the garden. Where is her thoughts? Where is her focus now? Her focus is on the restriction rather on the liberties. Can you see? Watch the questions. Because what Satan wants to do is he wants you to make you believe and believe the lie that God is a God of limitations. Come on, he wants you to see God as this God up in heaven that just wants to destroy your life and doesn't want to bless your life, and he wants to twist the blessings and the liberties and the freedom of God to make it sound like it's a whole load of restrictions. I've had many people say to me, I want to give my life to Christ because you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Well, hey, maybe you can't do three, four, five things, but what about the countless other things that you can have? 
Come on, you can't do that. But what about the peace that God can give you that you can begin to sleep at night? Come on, what about the joy? What about eternity? What about all the blessings? Come on, there are always going to be certain restrictions of things we cannot do. But yet if we focus only on them, we're going to miss all the liberties that there is in God. Satan came to mankind. He came to Eve to try and make her look at a God who was limitless, as a God that was restricting, a God that was confining, a God that just didn't care for them, but yet wanted them to try and live his way and not the best way for their life. And he turned her focus off of everything else that she could have and just put it on that one thing. Still today, Satan is asking the same questions. Because if it worked back then, he knows it still works now. He's still trying to make us doubt God. Why would I want to serve a God? Does God really love me? What about his word? How can I believe that? Doubting a God so we would look at a God. That we would begin to question his intent. We begin to question his ability. We begin to see that he's a God of limitations. No, God's a God of liberties. Here's the second point I want you to see today. You've got to watch the restrictions. You've got to watch the restrictions. Satan wants her to forget everything that she has and focus on the one thing that she couldn't have. And it's amazing how quickly we fall into trouble when we dwell on the few things that we don't have rather than being thankful for the countless things that God has already given us. Let me give you a word of advice today. Be thankful for what you do have. Because then doubt, then doubt won't lead you into sin. Be thankful for what God has given you, so not allowing your doubts to lead you into a place of sin. She replies, look, verse 2, We may eat of the fruits of the trees that are in the garden, but of the tree that's in the midst, God has said you shall not eat it, nor touch it, lest you die. Again, her focus is now where? On the one thing. Her focus is now on the restriction instead of on the liberty. Exactly what Satan wants to happen. That one thing that God said wasn't the best for her to eat is now the one thing that she desires as she stands before it and she wants it. Come on, God is a God of good intentions. Let me say that again. God is a God of good intentions. So that means what? That means if he tells us something that we don't need for our lives, it's because he knows that it's not going to bless our life. God is not trying to keep us from the best. God is not trying to hold back the best from us. God's trying to release us into the best. So he does that by saying, hey, all this is good, but stay away from this. Stay away from that. Why? Because his intentions is always for the gain and the blessings for our life. Come on, his restrictions, if you want to say it this way, are helping us to avoid evil. If Satan can make us question God's instruction, then we'll begin to question God's intention. But what if as I said, those good intentions are twisted because Satan doesn't want to see, us, to see the truth. But he wants to, us to begin to question, have the seeds of doubt and questions in our mind. Because he doesn't want you to live in the intentions God has for your life. But to destroy those because he doesn't want you to be blessed. The Bible says in John 10 verse 10, the thief comes to what? Steal, kill and destroy. But God says, I have come that you may have what? Life. And that you may have it how? More abundantly. Sounds to me like the enemy's the one who has the restrictions. He's stealing, taking and killing my life and destroying. God says, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you life to the fullest. But the enemy will make us doubt that and question that and say, well, that's not true. I'm telling you, it is true. God is a God of intentions, the best intentions and the greatest strength and direction and help for your life. Let me say it this way. God's restrictions are not bad. True freedom isn't doing everything we want. Having true freedom isn't doing everything we want. Let me use an example. You can stand and you can walk right in front of a speeding car if you want. You've got the freedom to do that. If you want to just step off the sidewalk right in the front of a car, you have the freedom to do that. But listen, you don't have to do that to understand. You don't have to be hit by that car to realize that's a foolish thing to do. Everyone with me on that? 
Come on, you don't have to. So when we talk about I've got freedom to do whatever I want, we've got to think about that that is set. Because if I've got freedom to do everything I want, it could be harmful for my life. Because true freedom is not being able to do everything that I want. True freedom comes from obedience and knowing what not to do. That's true freedom. To obey God and through his instruction, discover what I don't need to do. I don't need to do this. I don't need to put my hand in a fire to know it's going to burn it. Oh, but I can, I'm free. You can't tell me what to do. Well, go ahead and put your hand in the fire and see how that works for you. Come on, go ahead. Do it if you want. You see, we think if we've got freedom, and that's what the enemy tried to tell them. He tried to show them that you can have freedom in everything. You don't want to be part of a God who's a God of restrictions. But it's amazing, isn't it, the freedom that Satan offered was no freedom at all. But the freedom that they were already living in, they didn't see. Oh, but you won't die, he said, verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow, I'll be like God. And my eyes will be opened. Man, God, open our eyes. Open our eyes, not to believe the lies of the enemy, because we need to open our eyes and see the blessings that we have in God. Not, oh, if I could just have that, I would be blessed. That's temptation, isn't it? If I could just have this, then my life would be blessed. If I could just have that, you've got to open your eyes to realize that you are blessed right where you're at right now, because God has the best for your life. But if I could just have my eyes, if I could just walk into that, we can never be like God. By defying his authority. If you want to be like God, you can't do that by defying his authority. If you want to be like him, you've got to do it the proper way. And you've got to do it the right way. Because that should be a goal of every one of us as a child of God. We should want to be like God. That should be one of the highest callings that we want in our lives. To be Christ-like in the image of God. But we cannot do it by our eyes being opened by the world. We only can do it when we trust in God and we follow his example. Because the reality is this, the only thing that Satan had to offer mankind that day was evil. He said, you'll be like God. They already were. Your eyes will be opened. They had insight and wisdom and knowledge far beyond everything that we could ever imagine. Their minds were so more brilliant than any of ours could ever be. They had everything they needed. They had all the good that they could ever need. They had all the good they could ever need. The only thing they didn't have was evil. Isn't it amazing that Satan thinks he can offer you the world? But all he can offer you is that which is evil, that which is dead, and that which will never produce life. You need to hear me today. Oh, it looks good. It's packaged good. It sounds good. Because you begin to question and see a God of restriction instead of liberty. So you want something more than what you have, and you go to places you've got no business to be, and the end result is regret, shame, guilt, condemnation, because you're going to discover real soon that it's not everything it needed to be, but sometimes we discover too late. That's why we need to listen today. That's why we need to take example from the words, from what Adam and Eve failed in, that we don't have to fall and fail in the same way. You know, we don't have to know evil to experience and learn more about life. We don't have to know that side to discover what we've got is better. Come on, you don't have to go out and live in the world to discover that living for God is better. You just got to know today that this life is the best life that you could ever have. And anything outside of that is evil. It's harm. It's nothing for your life. Oh, it looks good and it tastes good and it smells good and it feels good. But that's how sin is. It's a passing pleasure. It's a deception. Because his life is the best. But Satan wants us to doubt that again because he wants to see him as a God of wrong intentions, of limitations, of restriction. Bad God. He's not a bad God. He's a great God. And if we don't watch with all these questions, we're going to find ourselves standing in front of the wrong tree. Hello? Going to find ourselves standing in the wrong place. And we'll find ourselves in a place of temptation. One of the best definitions of temptation I've ever read was this week. Look at this. Temptation is Satan's invitation to give into his life or to give his kind of life and give up on God's kind of life. 
Satan's invitation is for you to give into his kind of life, for you to buy it and say, here it is, bite the apple and say, here's what life is. But as a result of buying his life and going into his life, what are you doing? You've got to give up on God's type of life. Isn't that what temptation is? Wanting something you think is better, but losing that which you have the best of. Because you can't have it both worlds. You can only have it one way or the other. And that's where we try to live between both. Well, I want this and I want that. You can't live like that. And temptation wants you to give in to his kind of life that you would leave the life of God behind. And here's what else you need to know about temptation. And that is this. Just when you're tempted, that's not sin. When you're tempted to do wrong things, that's not a sin to be tempted. But sin comes when you give in to that temptation. Sin comes when you yield your life to that temptation and you partake of it and you bite it and you eat it. Now we can turn around and say, hey, temptation's not a sin, but we can sure avoid being in tempting places. We can avoid and watch with our lives. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, each one is tempted when he is, no, it's in the end of the Bible in James, each one is tempted when he is led away by his own desires. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we discover this, that God is a faithful God, that we're all going to be tempted, the Bible says. It's not when, it's a case of if, or it's a case of when, not if, if I'm going to be tempted. No, you're going to be tempted, but when is the question? We don't know, but God says, with the temptation, guess what? I'll be the way of escape. Why? Because I'm a faithful God. So we know temptation's coming, but he's always a way of escape in our lives. So here she is. She's been led along by the lie. She's been taken out of safety to a place of danger. She now sees, and what's the next step? She grabs it because it looks good. She takes it. She eats it. What started with a question now is in her mouth. She's partaking it. She's eating it. She's liking it. But you know what else is the problem with sin? Sin spreads. And she not only eats it, but she gives it to her husband. And he begins to eat it too. It's amazing how man often tries to relieve his guilt by involving someone else. If I do wrong, I want someone else to do wrong with me. Why? Because I'm trying to ease my guilt. That sin will pollute not only your life, but it pollutes other people around you. I say this statement a lot, but I'm going to say it again. A thief doesn't break into an empty house. If Satan's come and causing you to question God, it's because there's something of truth there. And you need to not be ignorant to that. And you need to shut down all conversations and everything. Why? Because he's going to take you from a safe zone to a danger zone. He's going to take you to a place where you're going to fall, you're going to trip and you're going to mess up and you're going to be like Adam and Eve and you're going to partake of things and do things and say things, be involved in things that you've got no business doing. So what do we do? We've got to watch the question. We've got to watch the restriction, how he wants to twist God's intentions for his own gain. We've got to watch that he wants us to look at the restrictions instead of the liberties. That which wants to protect our lives, be good for our life. God never wants to harm our lives, but only to bless our lives. Here's the third point. Are you ready? We've got to watch for your reaction. What's your reaction? What does a reaction tend to be? That knee-jerk response that you almost don't think about. It's the first thing that you do. You've got to watch because what happens as the result of their wrong? What happens immediately? Look what the Bible says, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them are, bam, their eyes were opened. And the first thing they realized was that they were naked. That which was pure, that which was holy, that which was God. Now they realize, what is this? And what do they do? They sew fig leaves together to make themselves a covering. Isn't it amazing? The first reaction of man was to try to cover their shame. Isn't it amazing? The first words almost out of a kid's mouth is the words no. Isn't it amazing that you don't have to teach a kid how to not share, but you have to teach a kid how to share? Isn't it amazing the first thing they want to do is to keep it for themselves? Why is that? That's the sin nature. What do we see? The nature of sin is the first thing that they try to do is try to cover, to try to hide, to try to mask the guilt, the shame. That's the nature of each one of us that we're born into a sin nature. I want to tell you something right now. There is no fig leaf big enough to cover sin. 
It doesn't matter what you try to do. It doesn't matter what you try to hide behind. There is no fig leaf that is big enough that can cover the shame and sin of your life. And the Bible says that one day we're going to stand before God. And the scripture said that everything we have in our hands, everything of us is going to burn up in fire if it's that which will burn. I'm telling you, fig leaves are flammable. It's going to burn up. You may think, well, I'm covering this and everything's good. You're going to stand before God completely naked. Why? Because those things are not going to cover the guilt and the shame of your life. Man tries to cover his guilt. You can't cover it. You've got to confess it. You've got to give it. You've got to surrender it. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. They cover and hide. They cover and now they hide. What used to be such a welcome sound as they heard the voice of God is now a dread to them. His voice hadn't changed, but they had changed as a result of sin. And they now hide because they've got a guilty conscience. You know, God has placed a conscience in each one of us. There's that Holy Spirit, that inner voice inside of us. Have you ever done anything wrong and all of a sudden a voice inside of you, that feeling inside of you, you know that you've just done wrong. Anyone know that feeling? We know that feeling. We can try to deny it all we want, but God has given it as a warning signal inside of us. And the worst step that you and I can take is to try and suppress that guilty feeling, to push it down without eliminating the cause. And that's what man's trying to do. He's trying to push it out. He's trying to cover it. He's trying to hide from it. Instead of coming clean and examining what is the cause, what is the problem, he's pushing it all aside because he doesn't want to take responsibility, much like us, for the wrong things that we have done. You and I should be glad that we have that feeling inside of us. We should be glad that we are aware of when we do the wrong things And we're aware of our sins because when we're aware of our sins, we can ask God for forgiveness of those sins. And God will correct those wrongdoings. But do we know? We hide. We think God doesn't see it. We think God doesn't know it. We think that God doesn't know where we're at. Isn't it so funny to think that Adam and Eve thought they could hide from God? They really thought that they could actually hide. And God is calling them. Verse 9, what does God say? Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? First question of God in the Old Testament is, Where are you? First question in the New Testament, incidentally, is, Where is he? As Mary and Joseph were looking for Jesus. Oh no, not Mary and Joseph, rather. that The wise men were asking, Where is he? The first question asked, Where is he? By the wise men. Isn't it very amazing that we see the first question God asks is this, that God is seeking the save the sinner. And then in the New Testament, we see the sinner seeking the Savior. We see the sinner seeking God. Just the plan of God that from the beginning of time, God sought after man. And now we can seek after God and we can find him. And he's calling them. Where are you? And he's calling them when? You know, I love this about God. I love this so much about God. God is still calling them. When is he calling them? He's calling them after they've messed up, after they've eaten that which they should not. He knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly where they are. It's amazing. I mean, do you really think that God's saying, where are you? He doesn't know what's going on. God knows everything. He knows exactly what's going on. But why is God asking them the question? Because he has given them an opportunity to say, God, I messed up. But what's their reaction? They're not coming clean. They're hiding. They're covering. They're not coming out and saying, God, we messed up. God actually asks four questions. The first one is, where are you? Then he says, who told you that you were naked? He then says, have you eaten of the tree? And then he turns to the woman and says, what is it you've done? God has given them so many opportunities in this story, in this example here to say, God, I'm so sorry. Why? Because God knows where you're at. The problem is we don't know where we're at. Come on, that's the problem. That's the problem because we're covering and we're hiding. We're saying, hey, everything's okay. We're showing up to church each and every week saying, hey, everything's good. I've got my church front on. I'm hiding everything. Everything's good. I'm, I'm, I, you know, you can't see this and, and all that. Everything's good. God knows exactly where you're at. It's like the story when Jacob wrestled with God. He was wrestling with God, hand-to-hand combat. 
And, and God says to him, hey, you're going to have to let me go. It's daybreak. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God asks a strange question to Jacob, but it wasn't strange. God says to Jacob, what's your name? What's your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. Why was that important? Because the word Jacob means I'm deceiver, I'm surplanter, I've got things wrong, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a thief. But you see, he wanted the blessing of God, but God couldn't bless him till what? He came clean with who he was. And when he came clean with saying, I'm Jacob, God says, you're right in saying you're Jacob because you are all those things. But let me tell you now who you're going to be. You're not going to be Jacob any longer, but you're going to be Israel. You're going to be prince with God. That's why God's coming into the garden. That's what we're seeing here. He's asking a question, not because he hasn't got the answer, because he's asking the question because he is the answer. He's the answer to every question that Satan wants to throw in your life. Every doubt, every confusion. Come on, God's the answer. He's got the answer. Oh, Satan wants you to think he's the answer, but God is the answer. But you've got to realize where you're at so you can come clean with God so he can make you what he purposed you to be. Yet we still try to hide and cover. We try to deal with sin in our own way. We try to hide our shame and guilt and convince ourselves that if we were to show God, He would judge us. He wouldn't care for us. He wouldn't love us. And we doubt and question again His ability in our life. I read this earlier this week in one of the footnotes of my Bible. It said this, In these verses we see God's love and desire for fellowship with Adam and Eve, with mankind. Because God still wanted to be with them. But because of their sin, they were afraid to show themselves. You see, sin breaks relationships. Come on now, sin breaks relationships. Every relationship that you'll ever have in life will be broken by sin. Not just you and God. Every relationship will be destroyed and broken by sin. But what an example of his unconditional love. Knowing all things knowing what he told them to do, but yet they've believed a lie. They've bought into it. They've eaten into it. It's now inside them. It's a part of them. They're now hiding. They're in shame. But yet he still comes. We've got to watch so often our natural response is to be afraid. We can be afraid of God. Because why? Because we feel that we're not worthy. We can't live up to his standards. But I'm telling you, we cannot ever live up to his standards. And that's why we need a saviour. It's why we need Him in our lives. And you and I have got to understand today that He loves us no matter what. And that you cannot remove the guilt and the shame, but He can. So what do we do? Watch the questions. Watch the restrictions. Watch the reaction. What's the fourth thing? Watch our response. Our reaction and response should be different. We react and do things, bam. And then when we think about it, we'd say, man, I wish I'd never done that. Our response should be different. But what do we see with Adam and Eve? We see the response is the same as their reaction. What's their response to God? They don't come clean and say, God, forgive me. What's our response to God today? Verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You know what their response should have been? The first reaction was, man, yeah, to try and come. But when they thought about it, their next response should have been what? God, we're sorry. God, would you forgive us? God, we messed up. But it wasn't, was it? They were afraid. They were fearful. They hid themselves. They kept away from God. And what does God say to them? Verse 11, God says, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that in your life? Because of sin and the effects of it, we can find ourselves so often believing the wrong things. Come on, God is looking for the right response. Come on, the world wants to say you're nothing. But God says today, come on, who told you that you're nothing? Come on, can you see that? Who told you that you would never be anything in your life? Come on, you're special. You're valuable. You're everything I want you to be. Come on, the world will tell you you're bound and you will never have freedom. But God wants to say to you today, who told you that? Why? Because his response, he wants a response from you to believe him and trust him and not believe the lies of the enemy that you can never break free from addiction. Come on, who told you that you were a failure? Oh, we believe that so often. That wasn't God. Who told 
told you that you maybe look funny and no one's going to like you? That's not God. Who told you that your marriage was over? Can you see God's trying to address a fact of a lie that the enemy wants to put inside of us? Who told you that? But yet, what is their response? Still against God. I'm telling you, I am glad that despite what I have done, God meets me in my place of shame. And he still longs to change my life. God could have just written them off and said, man, they're not getting this. But he asks another question and asks another question. And all the time, what are they trying to do? They're trying to pass the blame. God, it was the woman that you gave me. It was the serpent. He came and deceived me. I want you to know something, and that is this. You don't get away with sin by blaming someone else. Come on, pass the blame all you want. You're not getting away with sin. You can't get away with sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Come on, we can hide in guilt, but we're still in it. We can be afraid. We're still in it. I've got to close this today. Number five, watch your future or watch for your future. Because I'm glad that's not the end of the story. It doesn't have to be all over and it's not. God's a God of another chance. He gives them another chance. Yes, they messed up, but he's a God of another chance, not a God of a second chance. We blew that a long time ago. But he's God of another chance. Adam and Eve chose their course of action and that was disobedience. But God chose his course of action. And that was this. He could not leave sin unchecked. He had to deal with it. And there were consequences. You know what some of the consequences were? Ladies, one of the consequences of sin is now you've got to have labor pain. Come on, that's a big consequence. If you're a lady, you should be saying amen or ouch or something. What that probably meant was before this, you'd have just been going to the mall and plop a baby and you'd have gone, wow, I just had a baby. Now you don't happen like that. You know you're having a baby. There's a pain in the labor and the travail and it can take hours and hours and hours. Come on, what is one of the other consequences? You've now got to work. You've now got to toil. You've now got to work for the ground to produce. Come on, weeds are a consequence of the curse. Come on, hate weeds. Every time you pull a weed, Adam and Eve, thank you so much for eating of that fruit. God could not leave sin unchecked. So what did he have to do? He banished them from a garden. But again, for what reason? Because he had to keep them away from the tree of life. You know why he had to keep them away from the tree of life? Because in a state of sin, if they would have eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived in sin for the rest of their lives. God had to spare them from that. And again, it's the love and the compassion of God. But notice what God does. Here's his response to their sin. He doesn't turn a blind eye to it. He deals with it. Verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made a tunic of skins and he clothed them. I want to see something today. Their act was an act of disobedience. God's act was an act of grace. God's act was an act of grace. Because even though he could have written them off, what does he do? He kills an animal. He sacrifices. This was the first sacrifice pointing towards his son. Come on, his son was going to be the ultimate sacrifice that would die for mankind, that would redeem mankind, that would be our freedom. That he didn't have to cover the sin. He could wash away our sin and remove our sin and take our sins. But what does God do? He, God clothes them. I love that. Look at Romans 5 verse 20. It says, but where sin doth abound, grace abound aboundeth much more. Aren't you glad that even in sin, grace is greater? Even in the struggle, God is stronger. No matter what we've done, He is greater. We'll just come to Him. I love the picture that when God clothes them, He puts something over them. Now when people see them, they don't see the shame of their lives, but they see the God of their life. Aren't you glad that when people look at you, they don't have to see the fact that you are an addict? that you were a failure. Oh, AA wants you to stand and say, hey, I'm Philip and I'm, a, uh, I'm an alcoholic. You're not an alcoholic if you're in Christ Jesus. Come on, because he covers you with his grace. Come on, I'm Philip and I'm a child of God. Come on, I'm Philip and I have the hope of God in my life because I'm not the same as I used to be because people don't need to see my shame and the failures of my past, but now they can see the God of my life. What a beautiful picture of grace. One last scripture, and I'm going to let you go. Romans 5, 17. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through this one, 
Meaning through what Adam and Eve did, that through one man, offense, death reigned and came to this world. What does it go on to say? But much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. In other words, let me sum up that verse this way. What Adam lost, Jesus more than got back for me. Come on, Jesus more than got back for your life. I love that because maybe they ate of the fruit of the tree, but I'm glad that he became the fruit on the tree, given his life for you and I that would be the ransom for every one of us, paying the price, the opportunity of life. Come on, don't allow Satan's questions to cause you to doubt, to be led in the wrong direction, to the wrong place, that you're in the wrong place at the right time, that you will do the wrong things and then hide from God in your shame and in your failure. Come on, it's time to come clean with God. Adam and Eve's story is a beautiful picture of redemption, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God. And it sets the course for the entirety of the Word of God Because the whole word of God is about the grace and the redemption of God. Because in every story in God's word, if you look, you will see God. That he's the source, that he's the hope, that he's your life. Come on, we're maybe like Adam and Eve and we've believed the wrong question. Come on, maybe we're focused on the restrictions. Maybe our reaction and our response has been all wrong. But aren't you glad that there's a future that we can still have in God? That his grace is able to cover every one of our sins and to give us freedom and liberty in our lives, a future and a hope. Yes, they were put out of what should have been, but I'm telling you, God never left them. And God gave them a promise of His Son because He said, Hey, Satan, may you may bruise the heel, but one day He's going to crush your head. Come on, the serpent, you maybe are going to bruise the heel and bite the heel. But one day the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, is going to crush what? The head of Satan. Crush the devil. Come on, greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Come on, the garden, the story of redemption, the story of your redemption. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Precious Jesus. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.